Let's bring in your case, Frank. Sure. This is a 57-year-old limo driver. His wife is a nurse, so he's somewhat of a well-informed guy when it comes to myeloma. He was in his usual state of health. He was in Orlando driving a golf cart with his family, goes over a bump and suddenly gets intense pain in his left humerus. Goes to the hospital. They do an x-ray. The x-ray doesn't show anything. They put him in a sling, say, see your orthopedist when you get home. He gets home, the pain's not getting better, so he gets another x-ray at our hospital, and it must have just been that when they shot his original x-ray, it was a little bit lower than the actual pathologic fracture, which was found on the high humerus on the left. So he went for an open reduction internal fixation with an intramedullary nail, and the pathology from that came back 100% plasma cells. So we sent the appropriate serologic workup. His SBEP was positive for a monoclonal spike, and an immunofixation, it was IgG-kappa. His M-spike size was 0.3 grams per deciliter. His immunoglobulins, surprisingly, were all normal, and he was discharged home to follow up with me in the office. When I saw him in the office, we checked serum-free light chains, and his kappa light chain was 1,064, and his lambda light chain was 26. We had a long discussion about what to do next, and to complete his workup, we actually did a bone survey, a skeletal survey that showed multiple areas of lytic lesions, including a couple compression fractures, which he was essentially asymptomatic from. He was enrolled in a trial using cytoxin, velcade, doxel, and dexamethasone, and so far has had a nice numerical response with his kappa-lambda ratio. His bone disease obviously has not improved. He's getting zomata, and he's really asymptomatic other than grade 1 fatigue from this clinical trial regimen. And that's where we are. By the way, a bone marrow biopsy was done in the office, 45% plasma cells. Deletion 13 was his cytogenetic abnormality. And that was on fish or cytogenetics or both? That was on fish. That was on fish. He didn't have any metaphases, apparently. I think it's interesting that all of these cases have patients who either on fish or cytogenetics have deletions of chromosome 13, which is still not a standard or good risk group, although the feeling now is that some of the other abnormalities like 17P with P53 deletion or patients that have the 414 translocation with FGFR3 overexpression or 1416, that those are actually a little bit of a worse prognostic group than the deletion of 13. But it sounds like all of these patients got some kind of Velcade-based induction, which I think is very appropriate because the initial reports about Velcade doing well for patients with deletion 13, which came out in the relapsed refractory setting from the phase 2 and phase 3 summit and apex studies, now seem to be borne out in the upfront trials. The CAVO study, for example, showed that if you got VTD and had a deletion of 13, your complete plus near complete response rate was actually better than if you didn't have the deletion of 13. And I think the only disclaimer to that data is that these patients classically have not been people who have not responded to therapy. The problem has been that their time to progression has been shorter. And so the follow-up on that data is still not as robust as we would like for it to be. But anytime we can shorten the duration of therapy and get higher complete plus near complete response rates, I think that that's certainly a very attractive feature. Many now have switched to using Velcade with Revlimid and Dexamethasone as an induction, and I think there are a couple of pluses to that 
first of all, Revlimid, some of you alluded to thalidomide being a little bit difficult to manage, especially in combination with Velcade, and certainly Revlimid is less neurotoxic, although not non-neurotoxic. I've treated a few people who have had neuropathy problems, even with just Revlimid alone. And Paul Richardson's most recent presentations at ASH with the VRD upfront regimen show that in a small patient population, they got about a 100% response rate with what looks like a higher complete response rate than you would expect with just RevDex or Velcadex alone. So I think that's another attractive regimen. Other downsides are that we don't yet have randomized data showing that it's better than, for example, Revdex or Thaldex or VTD, and we don't have very long-term follow-up. So I think that's the one reason to perhaps shy away from that for right now. When you talk to investigators, they talk about RVD a lot. I don't know that it's being used that much in the community. Well, I think that some of the concerns about it, which are legitimate, as I mentioned earlier, are that, first of all, we don't have a large patient experience in the form of a clinical trial. I think Paul's presentations have been around 60-some-odd patients, some of whom were in the Phase one portion and so didn't receive the doses which are recommended for further treatment. That's concern number one. Concern number two has been that we don't have a long-term follow-up And concern number three, which I think is certainly legitimate, which we've talked about in myeloma for a long time, if you use some of your best drugs up front, what do you have left at the time of relapse? And probably right now, our best drugs are Velcade, Revlimid, steroids of one kind or another, and alkylating agents. There's a number of studies that are underway. SWOG, for example, has a Rev low-dose dex versus Velcade Rev low-dose dex that we're signed on to. And there are studies of VRD versus VRD cytoxin and several others. So we will have that data, but it will be a little while, unfortunately. From a toxicity perspective, some of the nice things about combining drugs is with Velcade in the relapsed setting, we all had to deal with a fair amount of neuropathy that these patients developed. And fortunately, only about one out of three have a worsening of their neuropathy. But in those one out of three, it can be quite uncomfortable and in some cases debilitating. And so far, we don't have good ways of predicting who would be the one out of three and how to treat them. One of the nice things about the combinations is that with the Velcade Doxel in the relapsed setting, with many other Velcade-based combinations now in smaller experiences, it looks like the rate of neuropathy is lower with a combination than with single agent. Now, lower doesn't mean no neuropathy, unfortunately. Now, why we have the lower rate, I don't think anybody is really sure. In some cases, it may be that with more effective therapy, you have a shorter overall exposure to the drug and less likelihood of developing neuropathy. Some people argue that with the HDAC inhibitors, for example, or the HSP90 inhibitors, that the toxicity of Velcade may be in causing these agrosomes to form in nerve tissue which the agrosomes are all the proteins that would normally be digested by the proteasome, which can't be because that's blocked. 
And when you give an HSP90 or an HDAC inhibitor, the formation of those agrosomes is prevented. And so it may be that there's a mechanism-based way that that combination prevents neuropathy. But I think there's enough experience to be able to say that neuropathy is decreased. And although you may have some issues with cytopenias, with Velcade and Revlimid put together, generally those have been fairly manageable. And if you get a more rapid response, then you get a shorter exposure to Revlimid, for example, which may give you less difficulty in mobilizing stem cells because there is now data talking about long exposure to Revlimid potentially compromising your ability to mobilize, at least with a Nupagen-only regimen, although you usually can overcome that using either Cytoxan with GCSF, or now we've got Mozabil to help us out in the most difficult patients.